This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. You're all doomed. She is pure, evil. She is Christine, a 1958 Plymouth Fury, possessed by hell. Her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one. Once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine, body by Plymouth, soul by Satan. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Killer Wheels Appreciation Month, and we have quite a doozy for you this evening. We are going to be reviewing and dis- dissecting the 1983 Christine, directed by John Carpenter, and also written by Stephen King, based off the original source material novel by Stephen King, and co-written or screenplay written by bill phillips and my co-host and cohort in crime is my one and only cohort my lovely wife patty scott how are we doing tonight hey hey everybody i guess this is one of the perks of getting to be the the wife here you get all the good movies so i lucked out this month and i get christine (laughs) <laughs> well last appreciation month we we did uh they live which was another you know carpenter jam yeah. so you know you get I all get the, the good, good ones, ones. <laughs> exactly it, it i helps, can veto helps, the other ones yeah helps to know that know people right i <laughs> <laughs> know a guy who knows a guy yep right right yeah but this is when i uh first started uh the i got into the idea of doing a killer wheels appreciation month the first two movies uh that i thought of that was the genesis of the idea was killdozer and then right after that was christine christine is the epitome of 
a killer wheels uh, i think i mean there's a lot of other good movies oh, and yeah. another one that we've already done another stephen king one was maximum overdrive is you know also very good but when i think of killer cars i first and foremost think of christine and we actually uh, got to meet and see one of the original christines we did. We got to go up to the Volo Auto Museum up there in Illinois, northern Illinois, um, and they had a Christine replica there, which was a pristine, gorgeous version of the car. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not one of the wrecked versions, thankfully. That would have been sad to, to behold. And that, that's, <laughs> that's also a scene that just makes me sad in every movie when they, when they destroy a, a fine vintage antique car like one of these and just makes me cringe and just is like why i'm like i know i had to be done i guess this is one instance in my life where i would appreciate they would do something like that with cgi and not have to, to destroy one of these <laughs> fine cars but you know is what it is but a yeah. bit of trivia there was a lot more than one uh start off with a bit of trivia before we get into dissecting the movie uh 15% of this movie's budget was spent on the cars. The, the car itself is a 1958 Plymouth Fury, blood, candy apple red, but they made and restored 28 different Plymouth Furies uh, that would end up being used. So no wonder that it ended up taking a good chunk of 15% of the budget. Yeah. Well, and I had seen, too, that the money that was put into the cars was more than any money that they paid any of the actors to, um, which I, I think shows you, I think Carpenter had said he didn't want any big names in this. He wanted the car to really be the main focal point. And I think, you know, picking the kind of car that they did that really shined. Yeah. Cause let's face it. The Christine is the star of the movie. You know, the car is the, it is the star. It is the shining, you know, crown, jewel in the crown. But let's start off like with really getting into even how this movie begins with the opening credits. Just plain old-fashioned. Oh, yes. Go right ahead. I was going to say, can I say something before we even get there? Yeah. So, so I was looking up, and so you had mentioned this movie comes out in 1983. And I was curious because I knew Stephen King had written the novel. And I looked and I saw that his novel came out in 1983. And my brain kind of exploded there for a minute of realizing that both of these had come out at the same time. And so when I had started digging into this, I had seen, too, that King was just so popular at the time that he was just giving licenses out for stuff that he hadn't even completely written yet. <laughs> and so he had just proposed this idea of this killer car movie that the studios had then just eaten up and it, the film went into production before the book was even finished. Yeah, because when you're Stephen King, why not? When you're, I mean, let's face it, in the early yeah. 80s, who was bigger than Stephen King? Nobody. Nobody was. Nobody. I think the same applies for 2020, in the, like the 2020 era. You know, nobody's yeah, bigger. Yeah, when you think of uh, the, you know, is it saying that he's the best? You know, maybe to some people. I, I have opinions on that. We won't get into it on this show. But I love Stephen King. But, like, when you think of... Uh, modern day horror thriller writers i mean what's the first name comes up in it just about anybody's mind it's stephen king exactly, exactly. he's pretty 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 goddamn prolific <laughs> absolutely but, all right you know, so lead us into this yes yes i mean like I, I i'm you know being a filmmaker myself i'm i'm a sucker for good songs and i'm a sucker for subtlety 
So the way this movie begins with just the engine of Christine revving over the opening credits, just plain old-fashioned white lettering on the black background credits with just that car idling and revving. And then it goes right off to Bad to the Bone from George Thorogood and the Destroyers. I mean, like, how iconic of an opening. Yeah, a couple comments already. So the first thing that I found is that the kind of, quote, voice or kind of the engine of Christine was actually a Ford. It was a 19... it was a 1970 Mustang or 28. Um, and so what we're hearing isn't actually the, the voice, but Christine got dubbed over herself in this process, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with the songs. I did a lot of digging on the lyrics to a lot of these songs because you hear part of them in the movie and you're like, Oh, that's kind of clever. Um, and so I, I, I was digging into some of the lyrics of bad to the bone too and it starts off talking about like if you compare it to a person and you know i think as we'll go along and talk christine's scene as kind of a person and not necessarily a car but the song starts on the day i was born and we see it coming from an assembly line is kind of the first shots that we're seeing of the car the nurses all gathered round and they gazed in wide wonder at the joy they had found the head nurse spoke up and said, leave this one alone. She could tell right away that I was bad to the bone. <laughs> and when I think of, you know, just <laughs> putting the lyrics into perspective of what we're getting into, uh, they're telling us right away, like, this is a bad bitch. We in big trouble with this <laughs> one rolling off the assembly line. Right, right. They're saying you should leave this one alone, but that's exactly the opposite. People do not leave Christine alone, and as we are going to be learning here bit by bit, those who mess with Christine uh, get the front bumper. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think, and all kinds of other parts, as we'll find out, spoiler alert. Um, The the other thing that I saw, too, was that the Plymouth Fury actually never was made in that red color it was only available in that white sandstone that you see from the other cars coming off the assembly line so you already get the idea of like this car straight from hell of some kind right right and there is a bit of trivia with that and the reason why christine was red it was that it was specially ordered by the original owner that way now the the original owner we never see in the movie he is a pretty big character and a a big part of the book and we'll talk a little bit about the book here and there but roland lebay was the the original owner was he ordered it uh christine in that specific color and that's why she was blood red but yeah i kind of like the idea that she was just quote unquote born that way like born from hell you know it just it i like mm-hmm. that version better <laughs> me too me too and this is you know i mean you know uh, showing this car in all its glory in the beginning kind of showing these tracking shots of it going down the assembly line beautiful car my god what a gor- oh, yeah. gorgeous automobile and i'm a sucker for you know good old vintage antique car but Man, what a beautiful car. And it it looks like meanness set to music. It, it is just, just a, a beautiful car. And we learn right off the bat that nobody is safe from this car. They stop the assembly line, and one of the uh, inspectors pops open the hood, starts looking at something uh, you know, by the radiator, has his hand up, uh, up in the engine, and what happens? Chomp. The hood comes <laughs> down, 
and just that scream. And when, when they walk this poor guy away, his hand is ri- wrapped up. He looks like a fucking Q-tip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that blood red color is just so gorgeous. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of talk about this as kind of my theme throughout it too, but you know, that just the personification of her, you know, this is really when you would normally see like the woman in the movie coming out and like the tight red dress, that's just mm-hmm. the drop dead gorgeous look. Um, that's what we see here. We see her just coming out in all of her glory and now realizing that her, uh, her bites a little worse than her bark. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a good point there too. Like uh, the lady in the red dress, she, uh, Christine is very much the femme fatale of this movie. Yes. But we don't really get a whole lot of time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, they, they kind of give you a couple of good victims, uh, right off the bat when the, you know, and, and this is the one part that I read in part of the trivia is that uh, back in that day in 1957, you know, when they were rolling the new 58s, getting ready to come off the assembly line, that they ran three full shifts, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at this plant. And they did not shut the plant down at five o'clock like they do in the movie. So a little bit of, uh, you know, they're a little bit off there. But, you know, it's movie logic. You can forgive a movie license. logic. Yeah, a little, yeah. you know, freedom of liberty there. But uh, when they shut everything down and the one of the mechanics is coming along and sees Christine and just has to sit in her and has to t- turn on the, the radio. And what does he do? He ashes his cigar right on her seat. And you, this is when you really realize that you just, you don't disrespect Christine, especially by smoking in her, let alone ashing in her. So Because what happens... The the, uh, the one of the main inspectors comes along and is like, hmm, why is the lights on in this red car and why is the radio playing? And he opens mm-hmm. the door and they don't really they never really allude to how uh, Christine killed this guy, but I figured she must have uh, asphyxiated him somehow. That that, that was seemed to be her motif uh, with anybody that got inside of her. You know, if they were on the outside, they just got ran down. If they were on the inside, they somehow either got crushed or asphyxiated. But this guy is is dead right away. And and I love the attraction of the music here. When it goes, it you know, mm. when the, the inspector panics and he starts honking the horn, it transitions from 1958. All of a sudden, boom, we're in 1978. We're going with the original, you know, uh, Not Fade Away by Buddy Holly playing over the radio and then it transforms into 1978 it's the remake it's a it's a redo of not fade away that i believe was done by tanya tucker uh, if if memory serves right but i I thought that was a beautiful transition of the from modern day well you know it's old time to modern day which back then 78 wasn't pretty much as modern day as you could get for 1983 yeah well, and again, if you're going from the song lyrics to of, we shouldn't expect that this is the end of that car from 20 years ago. We should be expecting that this is just the beginning and the car hasn't faded away yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have definitely not seen the end of Christine. Yeah, we, you know, and... Uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, foreshadowing. And then we get finally introduced to Arnie Cunningham, the poor Arnie Arnie Cunningham, played by Keith Gordon, who ended up becoming quite a prolific director. He, you know, still was a, an actor for quite a few years, but he became quite a prolific director, directing everything from episodes of Fargo, 
Better Call Saul, Homeland, and you know, a hundred, hundred and one TV shows. So, uh, a lot of a couple of the the main a actors of this movie. Yeah, a lot of mainstream stuff, pretty prolific director, so. And still d- directing to this day. I, I still remember when his first directing efforts was a movie called The Midnight Clear that was really, really good. But that's another show for another time. We'll do we'll do an episode <laughs> on The Midnight Clear one of these days. <laughs> to be continued. But Arnie, poor kid. You know, you're introduced to him, and within 30 seconds, you know what kind of character is he's in he's a nerdy kid he's dressed very nerdy he's got the big horn rim glasses you know and he's just very awkward and you know when his buddy dennis played by john stockwell who is another fellow that was uh, an actor that became a pretty prolific director but he plays dennis gilder and he's his uh, kind of his more popular jock-like friend and he's really like the best friend you could ever ask for. He is such yes. an understanding and caring friend. And he really, in an essence, takes care of Arnie and, you know, and tries to protect him. Because let's face it, and especially in, in this instance, <laughs> Arnie needs some pr- protecting in the beginning. You know, by the end, he does not need to be protected by anybody. But yeah, his best, you know, best friend you could yes. possibly ask for. Also pulling up in a badass car and a blue 1968 Charger. Like everybody in this car, in this movie has a badass car. As, a, as I just love this movie, but like <laughs> when poor Arnie is introduced, you know when Dennis pulls up into his driveway to pick him up from school, and I, I'm gonna throw this out there, and please forgive me, folks, for using this kind of language, but Arnie's mother, Regina Cunningham, whose name her actress's name is Christine Belford, so Christine it, it does make a dual dual. Uh, appearance in this movie the mother character is such a bitch and to call her a bitch is just an understatement but uh, i'll try not to use the c word here if i can help it but like she's just you know instantly very bitchy like oh you might as well be dumping toxic waste on our lawn that's uh you know noise pollution is what you're doing and he's just sitting there in the driveway with some music playing and not very loud he's not being you know an obnoxious kid but just Poor Arnie comes out with the garbage, the garbage bus and ends up all over the place. And she gives Arnie his ill-fated lunch, which will come back into play this lunch. She's like, be careful, there's yogurt in there. That will come back into play later on. But you really get the idea that poor Arnie here is just, in an essence, henpecked by his mother. It's not often you get to foreshadow yogurt in a movie, but this is definitely what we get to do right here. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you see him pull up. It's this very idyllic kind of suburban neighborhood um, that I had also seen. This is actually the same neighborhood where John Carpenter had shot Halloween as part of that, too. And so, you know, it's it's very perfect. Everything is in its place. Um, and, you know, this mom just really takes over and is really controlling of poor Arnie's life. You can tell he's just eager to get to the first day of school and just let me out of this house. And Dennis, please take me away. <laughs> yeah, Dennis, please get me the fuck up out of here. And they have a really great relationship. The way they're joking with each other, they're kind of ribbing each other and whatnot. And, you know, you can tell they had been, you know, even though it's hammered home later on that they had been friends since kindergarten. You didn't really even need to get told that later on. You just got the idea yeah. that these were friends that had known each other. They were practically like brothers. Yeah, they'd been that way their whole lives. 
but what yeah but, so so you get you get the two of them in the car um i i think you know you also start to get to hear the obligatory high school two guys in the car we got to get you laid bro kind of talk <laughs> right. um and which I, it's 83 in this movie i guess you have to say that's part of culture back then of, it's of kind of what part kind of part of the like. course yeah um but i think you also will get to see there's a very strong distinction of how how women are treated in this movie versus how christine being a woman is handled handles being treated like that in this movie. Yes, yeah, so she's a she's a force to behold and you know and if, if you don't respect her uh, you pay the price in this movie. She is she is a, a female entity that you just uh, you you don't dis you don't you don't get to dis Christine and live to tell about it. Yeah, and so as we open, as they get into the high school here, you now just see more very disrespectful men that come into play of how they are talking about women and uh, things they are planning on doing with these women and fawning over the new girl in town, um, and all of which you then come into play will not be tolerated well in the end. No, it, it shows you there's a price to pay for being misogynistic assholes. Greatest theme for a movie ever. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it, could, it does has a like it has a little kind of taste of almost like a an American Pie movie there in the beginning. You know, it's all about like we just got to get you laid, Arnie, and then like they're going through the the list of girls that are readily available, and he, even Arnie for being the nerdy type who is obviously still a virgin, he's very picky. He doesn't want picky. any of them. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't want any of them. But when he sees Christine here in in, in a, a couple of s- scenes from now, he 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 does find the perfect girl, but she might be a little might be a little possessive for lack of a better term. <laughs> a little more than he can handle. Yeah. Right. But then, you know, we get the idea, you know, that this is is the first day of school and it's supposed to be their senior year because they're talking about being in college courses. And, you know, Dennis is talking about going to play, you know, football after hurting his knee in his junior year. And they get introduced by one of their friends to like, oh, here comes a new girl. Like and like everybody is gawking at her. Everybody is gawking at her and is going to like try. Everybody in this movie is essentially going to try to get in her pants. And Alexandra Paul, who, you know, is the actress playing the part, went on to be on like a couple hundred, hundred episodes of Baywatch. She was in uh, The Detonator with Pierce Bronston and, and Patrick Stewart, Dragnet with Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks. And she's been in well over 100 movies, but she plays Lee. And Lee is the, for lack of a better term, the other girl in Arnie's life uh, later on. Because Christine is, you know, essentially his first love. Mm-hmm. But not at this point. We don't, we don't know point. that at this point. Arnie isn't even really interested her, in her at this point. Yeah, and we never even find out, like, it is, you know, introduced later on that they, they are a couple and that they're going out on a date. But they never even say... Did, was Arnie the one that asked her out, or was she being assertive? And did she ask him out? You know, you just you never know, which I yeah, find that I, part interesting. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I definitely think it was uh, kind of faux Arnie who had asked her out at that point. Right. 
But right now we're getting into who is our real, uh, I'm going to have to say, real villain of the movie. Because I, I feel like Christine is not even the real villain. But we're getting into Buddy Repperton here, played by William Ostrander. And I, all I gotta, I, I all I gotta ask is like, <laughs> and I know you know casting was what it was back in the '80s, and they always kind of casted older actors to play teenagers and whatnot. But like, why was Buddy Repperton thirty-five years old and still in high school? Yeah, the thirty-five-year-old with mutton chops in the middle of uh, shop class. Yeah, yeah, the guy who was only like three years, you know, younger than. Uh, Mr. Casey, the you know the the shop teacher. I mean, like I I I I never understood that. Uh, even as a kid, when I saw this, I was very very young. I saw it when it first came out, and I think I was probably seven years old, maybe when this movie came out. So even I was just like my suspension of disbelief. Even at that point, was like, why why is this guy in shop class? You know, is he there to pick up his son, or you know, you know who knows. <laughs> But you know, Dennis is waiting to meet Arnie for lunch, and he sees another student and asks him what's going on. And he's like, "Oh, buddy, Repentin's got his lunch." And then when he when Dennis goes to the shop class, which also is foreshadowing because you know Arnie had talked about that his parents were embarrassed that he was taking shop class and that it was going to embarrass them in front of their their highfalutin bridge club members and whatnot. But but like uh, Dennis said, he's like, well, when their damn Volkswagen breaks down and you're there to fix it for free, they're going to be understanding. But you know, yep. poor Arnie's getting bullied around. They got his lunch. They're they're trying to play grab ass with him, you know, and they're trying to just be in high school boys. And I was to say high school grown men because, hell, they're almost my, my age and I'm 44 <laughs> for crying out loud. But you got, you got you know, a, a couple of different characters. You got Moochie. You know, you got... Uh, Vandenberg, Trelawney, and a couple other people. Uh, and I must make a mention of Moochie. Malcolm Denaire, who plays him, is great. He was in The Curse. He was also in uh, one of my favorite slasher movies, Popcorn. Great character actor. But these guys are all just bullying the shit out of Arnie. And Dennis shows up and is this kind of like is the catalyst for them to give this shit up. They're like, hey, leave him alone. Er, you know, Arnie, get your lunch and let's go eat. And then what does Buddy Repperton do? He pulls out a switchblade and stabs his lunch and <laughs> rips his yogurt out all over the place. And then it just becomes a free-for-all. They, one guy pushes Arnie. He slips down and breaks his glasses. Buddy's standing there with a the knife. You get the idea that he was probably ready to cut Arnie. I, I kind of always oh, wonder you know, like, if, if he really would have like cut Arnie if he was just kind of being a bullshit bully before Mr. Casey shows up. Oh, I have no doubt he was ready to stab him. Yeah, he was definitely ready to do that. And let's talk a little bit about Mr. Casey. Uh, another great character actor, David Spielberg, plays him. I love when he shows up. He's just like everybody gets, you know, everybody gets kicked out of the room except for the main people involved. And let's face it, Moochie was a bastard. You know, he couldn't uh, want to uh, fight one-on-one -on -one with Dennis if he wanted to. So he has to grab him by the balls and give him the old Charles Bronson ball twist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, you know, he picks him up off yeah, the we'll ground. Yeah, we'll drop him that way. Yeah, yeah. But Buddy Reberton gets cornered by Mr. Casey. And Mr. Casey manhandles the fuck out of Buddy. Let's, let's face it, Mr. Casey's... Uh, you know, wouldn't last long into today's political climate. He's like, 
you know what I mean? He would have yeah. he would have been fired for manhandling Buddy the way he did. But like, I still agree with his methods because let's face it, Buddy was an asshole. But, and it's okay. He was thirty five. It's not like he was a minor. So right, right, yeah. Oh, come on. Let's face it. He, he wasn't 35. He was <laughs> maybe 34. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but this teacher doesn't flinch. Like, Buddy tries to get up all in his face and threaten him, and he doesn't flinch. Like, you can tell this is not his first rodeo of asshole kids in his shop class. Oh, yeah. He doesn't even blink an eye at him. He basically tells them straight up when they told him that he pulled the knife on him, and Arnie confirms what Dennis has said, that that Buddy Repton pulled the knife on him. He He's just like, you know, if you don't empty your pockets right now, I'm going to call the cops. So he pulls the knife out of his pocket, tosses it on the ground, and then has his big bravado moment, like, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to make sure you wish you never were fucking bored. And then it cuts to them driving home, and, you know, and but talking about... Off- who the fuck is stupid enough to do that in front of a teacher? Like, okay, yeah, you're going to intimidate this kid before the teacher gets there. You know, it's his word against your word, really, about what just happened. But now let's just literally do this in front of the teacher. I think that just tells you just how, what of a fucking idiot this buddy was. Oh, Buddy Repton was was an asshole and an idiot. Just yeah. a complete, utter douchebag, an utter dickhole. Yeah, I I would agree. I think that the true villain in the story. And, you know, I'll, I'll give kind of my thoughts of other movies that it reminds me of as we get to some other scenes here, but yeah, he's definitely the bad guy. That's, that's spurring a lot of this on, but I love the reaction to it as they're driving home. Arnie's got his glasses all taped up and one lens is completely busted out. It's got like a sliver of glass left into it. So he can see decently out of like one eye and, he really takes it in stride and he's like, all in all, it wasn't a bad, you know, first day. And it it was, it was the worst first day ever. You almost got stabbed. You got coated in yogurt. You got beat up and you got your glasses broke. It was a horrible first day, but you get the feeling that Arnie has been putting up with this in his life from pretty much like day one. And it just makes you more endeared to his character. It, you know, it just makes you feel sorry for him. Cause in my notes here, I have if I if I wrote it once, I wrote it five, six times was just poor Arnie. <laughs> That's funny because throughout this, like I yeah, I mean in the beginning Arnie is de- definitely a sympathetic character, but my you th- your thoughts towards him change very quickly, or at least my thoughts change very, very quickly about him. Oh yes, yeah. He 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 goes through a multitude of changes. But this is where uh, Christine comes back, and as they're driving, he catches a glimpse of Christine out of the corner of his eyes. They're driving past, you know, this derelict-looking building that's just overgrown with everything, and there's Christine with a big for sale sign on her. And the the music, that just the incidental music, once again, John Carpenter movies always have great music, and the music is one of the selling points of any good John Carpenter movie. But, you know... It's just a very sad kind of music. Like, you know, you get the idea that the minute that Arnie saw her, that saw Christine, that she had her talons in him. Like, she had her claws in him, like, like right from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, so so what he had says when he's going down the road is, I want to look at her. Um, And I, I think... You know, which means like he is he is driven by he's gone by and and has seen this and there's nothing else in this world that he could possibly want to look at or do any more than to go see this Christine. 
Yeah, and she's in sad shape. Uh, she is not the pristine Christine that we saw in the beginning of the movie in 58. You know, she is rusted out. You know, there's weeds growing up through the grill. The bumper's halfway dragging. The, the glass is cracked and broken. There's holes punched in the body. She is a far cry from what we had previously seen, but Arnie is in love right off the bat. And Dennis is just like, this car's a piece of shit, heels. Arnie. Yeah, he's yeah. like, this car's a piece of shit. And he's like, you know, he's like, whatever they're asking for it is too damn, it's too damn much. But then enters George LeBay in, with his back brace on and looking very emaciated. And I got to make a, a comment here. George, George LeBay is uh, played by Robert Blossoms. And Robert Blossoms is just a great, was a great character actor. He passed away in 2011, but he was in stuff like Escape from Alcatraz, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, he played a serial killer in Deranged, which is one of the uh, first movies that Tom Savini had worked on. Uh, he was even in Home Alone. He was the creepy, creepy old guy in Home Alone. He, he was pretty much a creepy old man from birth, I think. Uh. I think he was somebody that was destined to play that kind of role. <laughs> and dang, is he good at it. He is good. God, he's a curmudgeon old bastard, and he's just great. And he starts... You know, he starts giving us a, a little bit of the backstory. Now, in the in uh, this is where I got to make a mention in the book. You know, George LeBay was not the one who sold Arnie the car. He talks about his brother Roland Roland LeBay, who was the original owner, who we later find out died in the car from asphyxiation. But in the book, although it's been 30 some odd years since I've read it. All I can remember is that Roland LeBay sold him the car and passed away shortly thereafter. But in this one, for to condense the story down, because as you have to with a Stephen King novel, otherwise it ha every Stephen King novel would have to be a miniseries. They make it the brother character. But he gives them the story, you know, about how, you know, Christine, you know, was fresh off the assembly line and they make a couple other references that I know you uh, probably have, have something to say about, about the difference between the smell of car and the, the smell <laughs> of something else that we, we have to, I don't know, we can talk about it, but we probably should, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he basically alludes to it's the best, the car the smell of a fresh new car is better than the smell of pussy. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, and I'm Cam is, watching the movie with me as he's just seeing my eyes roll in the back of my head as we have all of these misogynistic lines that come through. But again, I think it just really shows, um, you know, kind of the mentality of the time of just how, how women were treated and kind of that, just that comparison to cars that are so typically made um, of just kind of that objectifying kind of component to it. Um, that again is going to come back to bite them all in the ass pretty hard in the end. Yeah, but then, uh, you know, he tells tells them the story about how he got him when he was brand new, you know, and how he, he didn't have a care in the world and everything except for that car. And uh, Arnie is, you know, head over heels for this car right off the bat. And he's just like, what do you want for it? Because whatever it is, it's not enough, which is not a good way to go into negotiating for <laughs> a car. A negotiation tactic, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to... 
Even though he, we will find out later on that old LeBay w- was getting rid of not just an old junker car, he was getting rid of something evil. But, you know, he, he does give him a good deal. You know, he tells him, ah, I've been asking 300 maybe 250 for you. You know, he automatically knocks 50 bucks off the asking price, you know, which, like Dennis even says, this car ain't worth 50 bucks. Well, and, and you know, so then he had, had said, you know, it's your funeral at the end too, which then I think is again, foreshadowing of what is to later happen if he should buy this car. And then as Arnie says, he's like, I'm buying her. I don't care what you say. And that's when Dennis tries to talk George out of like selling him the car. He's like, listen, Arnie's just a dumb kid. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he's like, you don't know what you think you do. You shitter. And that shitter line will come into play very heavily uh, shitters, uh, the, the shitters of the yeah. world, basically saying the assholes of the world. But uh, I think that was probably a word that I learned at the ripe old age of seven that probably got me into a lot of trouble when I was a little kid. <laughs> well, and, and that line uh, will come back in several different ways and several different components of the movie, too, that, again, we can we'll talk about as it as it gets there. But I mean, the whole time, Arnie can't even take his eyes off the car as he's trying to negotiate and talk about this. Um, he's, again, just head over heels in love. He can't move forward or can't think about anything else besides just getting this car back to his house. And then when he does get it back to the house, the parents are not receptive at all as it cuts back to they're already there and and poor, and poor Dennis is stuck in the middle just casually pouring himself a glass of milk and drinking milk to have <laughs> something to do to just be like I don't I, I'm uncomfortable and I do not want a part of any of this because you know the the drink of that makes things less awkward in life is a glass of milk <laughs> right I guess maybe when it's not your milk I guess it's okay I don't know <laughs> <laughs> But the mom is, uh, I'm going to have to say it right now, uh, I mean, pardon my language here, but she is being uh, a little extra cunty. She is uh, just so adamant that, you know, he can't have a car and you will not be keeping any car at this house. And then she just says it. I mean, she's a great actress. Christine Belford is a magnificent actress. She plays the role so well. She plays it like a, like a Darth Vader. She's the character you love to hate. But she is just... You know, like even Arnie says, he's like, I've done everything you've wanted in life. And he's like, you know, I, I joined, you know, the the uh, certain club, I think the math club instead of joining band. I joined this club because you didn't want me to be in shop. And, you know, I've done everything for 17 years without embarrassing you or landing in jail. And I'm going to have this one thing, whether you like it or not. And they're just like, nope. And the dad doesn't pretty much say anything except for, oh, boy, when he looks out the window and sees this rust bucket that christine has become and (laughs) And then they blame it on the friend of like hey why didn't you talk my son out of doing this you piece of shit friend of you right Um, you're like how could you have let him do this like (laughs) (laughs) yeah this part i mean we talked about what a good friend this dude is he gets thrown under the bus by every fucking adult in this movie for being just a horrible friend and i can't believe you'd let him do this and of like, dude, you couldn't ask for a better friend to be made and sculpted and handed to this kid if he wanted. Yeah, yeah, but he he does. He gets he gets uh, so he gets swept under so badly. But uh, you know, I, I guess you know, I will have to say, 
Arnie grew some balls at that moment when he steps out and he's like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And like, when she's like, what did you say? Like, like the worst thing in the world this kid has done in his 17 years of existence is accidentally mutter the F word. But, you know. Well, and my, my theory is he never has. I think this is where you start to see the first kind of indications that the car has her claws in him. And it's already starting to change his personality. Oh, yeah. I, I think, I think, and when I say, you know, uh, said in earlier that she had her claws sunk into him earlier on in the beginning, I think the minute she, he laid eyes on her, there was that link, that power that Christine had. She sunk her claws into him and yep. started project, you know, her persona onto Arnie, yeah. which is, you know, I think that's why she, the, the mom was so shocked. Like, what did you say? You've never even said the word damn, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, and I think that was part of, I don't know how to respond to this because I've never had to respond to get him in line this way before. Yeah. And then we get on to our next scene, which is introduction of one of the main set pieces we're going to see in this movie, which is Darnell's place, which is just a, a junkyard and a place where people can go to fix up their cars. And Darnell, we'll get into Darnell in a little bit, but I want to talk about a cut scene. Now, Patty and I did watch, for those of you out there, we have the, the Blu-ray Steel book, which has about 15 or 20 cutscenes. And most of them, out of the about 20 or so cutscenes, I'd say probably a good 15 of them. I could see why they cut them. They were kind of superfluous and didn't really, yeah. you know, didn't really need to be in there. But there's a scene where Dennis is following Arnie to Darnell, so he's got a place to part Christine and work on her. And... <laughs> it starts spraying sparks out the back and it drops the whole muffler and the exhaust system out the back of the car. And Dennis still being the good friend that he is, picks up the assembly, sticks it in his back seat. So it's sticking out the window and picks it up and takes it with him. And that is also says why that Christine is billowing out so much goddamn smoke when she arrives at Darnell's, but it was a good little cut scene. And I feel like in a, like a true director's cut, it would have felt good to have that scene inserted back in. Almost just like a woman losing her shoe after a long night. Yep, 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 very much so. Yeah, like I said, look, again, reasserting the fact that Christine is a, is a femme fatale. But uh, we get introduced to Darnell's place, and also it bears mentioning that it says, Honk to enter. And this big door <laughs> leading into this place. Arnie can't do it because Christine's <laughs> horn doesn't work. You know, so he has to beg Dennis. He's like, can you, you know, honk your horn? Christine's doesn't seem to work. <laughs> you were just almost waiting for Arnie just to be like, honk, just yelling the word honk, honk, honk <laughs> out at the door. And then we get our first introduction of Darnell, who he's sitting around playing cards with a bunch of old cronies. And he's just a curmudgeon old man. This the epitome. If you look up the word curmudgeon in the dictionary, you see a picture of Will Darnell. Oh, yeah. And Robert Prosky, and again, this movie is filled with a lot of great character actors, and Robert Prosky has been, had been in everything from The Natural, he was in uh, Thief with James Caan, he was in The Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was in a good, God, I mean, probably 60, 70, 80 movies, I'm not sure, I didn't write down how many. Another fine actor who, he passed away in 2008. Now, he was 77 in 2008, which means he was only about 50, 
50, 52 when he filmed this movie. He looked 80 years old then. <laughs> but he's basically, you know, uh, the way I wrote him down here, he's like Archie Bunker on steroids. He is just the yeah, this yeah. curmudgeonly old bastard automatically threatening you know, Arnie right off the bat, you know, and just like, you know, if you do this, I'm throwing you out on your ass. If you do this, I'm going to throw you out on your ass. You know, I don't take any shit from you kids. And again, another character that gives Dennis a whole bunch of shit. And he's like, you know, if you sold in that car, you got to be fucking ashamed of yourself. And he's like, you know, I didn't. What, I tried man? to talk. I, 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 I took his the exhaust system. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm carrying the shit with him. That's it. I'm, that's all I'm it is. carrying all the parts that's fallen off of this damn thing. <laughs> And like, I, I think tried Dar- talk, when he says he tried to talk him out of it, and and, and Darnell's like, hey, you should have tried harder. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think Darnell, though, to his credit, you know, all he sees is two kids late at night bringing in this piece of shit car that he doesn't even think you can really fix up. I think he just saw it as these kids are just bringing in this placeholder junk car so it's an excuse to come in here, and then they're going to just come in here and party. Um, right. And, you know, cause hell as opposed to actually that they want to fix up a car or do anything about it. Yeah. And I love the exchange when he tells Arnie, I don't allow no smoking in here either. You want to butt, you go out in the junkyard and Dennis flexes for a moment. He's like, sir, he's like, oh, those men over there by your office, they're uh, smoking. You better tell them to stop. And he's like, you trying to help your friend right out of here, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and Arnie's just like behind him, like waving, like, no, 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 no. And he's like... <laughs> It's a great exchange, you know, but Darnell is, you know, he's honest, at least about his intentions. He's like, this place is for working stiffs. They got to keep their cars running to keep bread on the table. It's not for two kids that want to go drag racing. And I think yeah. that, yeah, where he lets them know, like, you know, I'm I'm no bullshit. Yeah. Don't come in here and just fuck around when the spot could be used for somebody else who actually needs it. Right, right. And. There's a line, I think, uh, I can't remember what the next scene is that comes along, but Arnie's working on the car, he's going through the junkyard, and he finds a couple of hubcaps that matches Christine, and you see now, like, because there's a couple of title title cards that come along every so often, it's like, oh, it's November 2nd, okay, now it's two weeks later, it's November 14th, you know, and a couple weeks of, of, uh, you know, passed, and Arnie is really fixing the car up, you know, and I love how he's... uh, Darnell is talking to his friend, which I think his name was Pepper. And he's like, look how cockeyed he works. Puts his brand new windshield wipers on a busted fucking windshield. And he's like, <laughs> and he tells him he's got the great line. He's like, you know, Pepper, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's, got, he's great with his hands, but he's got a bad taste in cars. Right, um, right. Which, again, may have been a uh, considerable fa- or considering factor later on of, uh, when uh, knowing that the owner has now insulted Christine. Right, right. Now, now this is where I'm going to get into one little bit of fan theory. And I, I, I kind of, I'm, in, I'm adhering to this fan theory. I don't know if you read about this in any of your, uh, you know, uh, your trivia and, and studying up on it. But that the fan theory is, is that Will Darnell was the assembly line supervisor at the beginning that finds the dead man in the front seat of Christine because he has the line where he says I, I knew a man that had a car like that once that was so mean you'd have boiled, poured, what do you say, boiling water down his throat he would have pissed ice cubes because yeah. 
And if you go back, the man, now that I, I think about it, looks very much like a young Will Darnell and is chomping on a cigar at the same time. And it would have, you know, given some, uh, you know, uh, some legitimacy to the, the how he would have known that car and how he would have recognized it from the beginning. And I don't remember any of that being in the book. I don't remember yeah. if that was anything, but I kind of like that idea. I kind of like the fact that That's that was something linking the two. But again, fan theories most of the time are just that fan theories. But I like that one. Yeah. I, I do like that one. Huh, yeah, that's an interesting one. I hadn't, no, I hadn't, I didn't run across that one. But yeah, so so right after this, so he's talking to, to Arnie there. And at this point, I think he realizes like, okay, this kid's trying to put in the work to make this car into something special. And so he, but he also knows he's going through his junkyard and stealing all of his fucking parts to make this happen. And so he decides, okay, I'm going to offer this kid a job. He can help out around here. I'll pay him a couple bucks and then he, he can go through the junkyard to get whatever he needs. And then Arnie is like, I got to think about it. Now, <laughs> what? 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 Like, what is there to think this, about? So either you don't take the job and he's going to charge you for all the parts that are coming out of this, or you can work for him and he gives you free parts and you get more money. Like this feels like a win-win situation to me. Right, and, right. And and of course then Darnell is, is just, dismayed you know he goes out of his way to have his one nice moment of the decade and this kid is just like eh, i don't know i'm gonna think about it really really <laughs> and darnell uh, true to his fashion says if you want to think about it too long i'll throw you out on your fucking ass yet again yeah exactly so i have i have one theory or kind of thought that i wanted to get your opinion on here cam too so mm-hmm. Kind of spoiler alert for later in the movie, we do know that Christine is self-repairing, that she is able to kind of repair and fix herself at will, no matter how awful the damage is. And at this point, we still know that Arnie is going through and trying to fix stuff up for her. Do you think the car was self-repairing at this point? Or, and do you think that Arnie knew that? Or do you think that she was just kind of slowly doing stuff, but just letting him think that she was, that he was repairing her? I, I think, uh, to be quite honest, I think he was already in on it. Uh, if I remember correctly from the book, the, the way that Christine repaired herself was to always keep running, was to always keep moving. And the more she moved, the more she was driven, the more she was, quote unquote, quote, loved, the more she was... Uh, you know, repairing herself. So yes, yeah. I do think Arnie was in on that. And he was just, that's why he was always going back and forth to Darnell's and working late at night, working when there was nobody else there that, I mean, in the book, they were pushing, pushing Christine along. You know, that's how everybody got a bad back. That's how like the, the Roland character, you know, in the book had bro- practically broken his back when she wouldn't run or couldn't run. He pushed her until she got better and kept her rolling on her wheels. And that's why Arnie, that's why they allude to in the movie that Arnie, you know, was always tired and was always in pain and, you know, didn't seem like himself is because I think, you know, like, like in my opinion that he was letting her repair herself and kind of, Put it, that's why you know like he said like why would he put brand new windshield wipers on a busted windshield it was just the way that christine repaired herself you know she yeah. repaired herself bit by bit so yeah i think Dev arnie was definitely in on it that was why he was just like well i got to think about it he was just playing coy 
So do you, so you think that he recognized that she was repairing herself? Oh, definitely. Do you think he had, you think he had that level of insight into it? I think at that point, yes. I think at that point he, he already did. Cause he was already changing himself. He had already dished the glasses. Cause you know, how do you just magically, you know, I mean, Arnie, the day before, a couple of days before, couldn't see his hand in front of his face without his glasses. And all of a sudden he's changing himself. I think he also was under her spell, you know, whether or not he was a hundred percent aware of it. I mean, maybe not a hundred percent, but I think like he knew that, you know, he was helping her along, but at the same time that she was in control at that, if I'm making any sense. Mm. Yeah, I had a different take on it, actually. I saw it as he felt like he was putting in all the work and was repairing her, but she was actually doing a whole lot of the the behind the scenes kind of stuff without him really having that full recognition and was just feeding off of his energy that he was putting into her. Because at this point, she's not really running. He's not really driving her anywhere yet. And so if she's not moving that she's not going to be getting that kind of energy to repair herself as quickly yet. Ah, and so a there's also good interpretation there's also some, of it. So there's also some time like at this point where like, he's just sitting in the car, like listening to her. Um, and so I think for a good part of it, it, he's now under her spell or under his or under her control, but I oh, don't definitely. think he's fully aware of that. He's changing. I don't think he has an awareness that he's like consciously trying to change his clothes, change his effort, change his things. Well, you might be, you know, and that's the great thing about the film. We only know what they show us yeah. and we're supposed to be here to interpret, interpret it as we see fit. I like your version of it though. Yeah. It could very yeah, well like, be. And and as we'll see here in a, a couple scenes here, but you know, so some of the changes he starts going through. So we already have seen at this point, He's gone from the very light colored clothing, very like light blues and whites are now starting to transition into reds and dark reds, um, which, you know, again, I think is that kind of assimilation of, you know, becoming one and becoming one color. And now he's also not wearing his glasses. And so, um, you know, we could see just how poor his vision was him trying to feel around to find his glasses. And so, we, I, I think there's something a bit supernatural that she's kind of controlling what he's able to see now. Yes, I, I definitely saw that because they even make a point later on uh, when Dennis is like, hey, you lost the glasses and you're looking good. And he just kind of shrugs it off like, yeah, yeah, this is kind of the new me. And like, Yeah, this is just happening. But yeah, yeah, it, it could be seen both ways. And I think I, I really don't feel like e- either uh, interpretation of that is wrong. It could be very well either way, but uh, we then <laughs> we get into some probably some more of your favorite part of the movie with uh, <laughs> Dennis and his high school friends being major fucking horn dogs, and I can't help but think like the American Pie movies must have been influenced by these bunch of buffoons. <laughs> but you know, because everybody's trying to get the new girl Lee's attra- uh, attention, you know, they're all attracted to her. They're all talking about, you know, like, Hey man, go ahead and go for it. You got nothing to lose, but your virginity. And, you know, <laughs> cause again, I, like that's how it works, right? Like you just go up and ask a girl something and they're immediately going to be like, here, please put your dick in my mouth. This would be so much better. <laughs> right. Yeah. This, this would be so much better than what we're doing right now. Yeah. 
But, like, I, I do enjoy the fact that, like, Dennis tries to go and hit on her, and he's like, hey, you want to go dancing? She's like, yeah, I like dancing. And, well, you want to go dancing with me? And she's like, no, I can't. I'm like, well, why not? And, like, I got a date. <laughs> I have a date. I'm like, oh, well. And then he gets embarrassed. I love the fact that he gets embarrassed by the, the librarian. Like, Mr. Gilder, are you lost? Like, no, ma'am. <laughs> why don't you go back to your own desk and do some fucking work, you know? <laughs> And like, he couldn't leave quicker at that point. He was ready to get the fuck out of there. But on a side note, like, the poor other girl who has just been throwing herself at him the whole time has to witness him hitting on this other girl. And, and she looks she broken hearted. Heartbroken. Yeah, yeah, she was just devastated. Although, that, not that it ever matters, because her character doesn't matter at all in this movie. Like, okay. I'm not positive why they focus on her, because she doesn't matter at all. Well, she was a much larger character in the book, uh, the character of Roseanne, you know, and she just gets kind of thrown to, to the sidelines, you know, in, in such a way that she's, I don't want to say forgettable, but, you know, it feels like through the screenwriting and the editing and the direction, like they just, it was a throwaway character and it was really not like that in the book. And we've got to mention that uh, Kelly Preston, the late Kelly Preston uh, played Roseanne and she's great in the role, but like essentially, you know what I mean? Kind of just forgotten about. But yeah, yeah, I mean, after this point, she's not really in the movie. Yeah, like she gets mentioned. She, you, you see her during the football scene. You know, you, you kind of get mentioned while Dennis is in the hospital later on. But then that's it. She's just gone. She's just kind of you blink and you miss her, which is, which is really sad. Which is, I mean, like I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't get why they did that. But it's already, you know, a, a two-hour movie. I guess they could only have so many, you know, <laughs> subsequent subsequent characters. I mean, the movie's like an hour and fifty minutes long. I guess if they had spent any more time on her, it'd be two hours plus. So I guess they just had to keep it moving along. True. But well, speaking of things moving along here, uh, the the next scene I think is probably one of my favorites in the entire movie, um, and that's when um, they go back to the man who sold Arnie the car, um, and he's trying to get more information about what happened and about this car. Um, and the the best line of like, so so this man is just describing like the hardships that the brother, his brother had gone through, the death of his son, the death of his wife. He had tried to tell him you need to sell this car just out of posterity because of these things that had happened with the car. And then he has the line of, and of course the car came back a few weeks later. And right. for me, like, that is just such a powerful point in the movie because initially you're just like, yeah, okay, this car, it, it's just sucking up all his time and energy. You know, he's never had a car like this. And then you have this line that's just so powerful that you're like, wait, wait, what did you, right. what, what do you mean it came back? I don't it's understand. probably one of my favorite lines in the movie is just he's the way he mentions it because, you know, he finds out that his, his you know, his, his brother killed himself in the car by running an exhaust, uh, a, uh, you know, a, a garden hose through the exhaust pipe and he fixated in it, but his daughter died in the car and his wife killed herself in the car. And then he's like, he finally does convince him to get rid of it. But when he has, does have that line, like of course came back three weeks later and Dennis is just like, what do you mean? Like came back, you know? And he just looks at him and raises an eyebrow. Like, did I stutter motherfucker? <laughs> And you one of my, I said what I said. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite, probably two, one of my two favorite lines in the movie is just like that line still to this day when he says it makes a hair in the back of my neck stand up. And it's just like, oh, 
this is where this is where we start to get into it. And then probably this is one of my favorite scenes coming up next. Uh, and I know it's one of your favorites just from uh, kind of a comedic standpoint when Dennis goes to Darnell's breaks in to kind of look over Christine and kind of sees her half rebuilt, you know, cause she's not like fully rebuilt by now, but she's, mm-hmm. you know, the paint's been polished, you know, and the dents have been fixed and the new glass has been laid in and he's trying to get into the car. And of course, you know, he slams his hand on the, the door and the radio comes on and his little Richards, you keep a knocking, but you can't come in. It's so, <laughs> so funny. Good. It's so fantastic. The The use of music and lyrics in this movie is one of the best in the game. Um, like they are just so spot on for what's happening. <laughs> just the, the idea of like, oh, you're trying to get in this car. Oh, no, no. Fuck off. No. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not getting in here. Part that happening. And oh, it, it's so great. It also, is, is something that needs to be mentioned that this car, Christine, she plays what she wants on the radio. She's not playing any radio bits or any DJ stuff. She's not playing modern music. She's always playing those mid to late fifties tunes, and yeah. it's it's obviously her playing the music she wants to hear, which I just fucking love it. I. Mm. Well, it's, it's just I, great. Yeah, and for me, it's it's almost. I I think it's probably a big inspiration for like some of the like the Transformers movies with Bumblebee too. Of it's her way of communicating. She isn't able to just directly speak to the people in her car, but this is one way that she can very much communicate what she wants or what she's thinking or feeling without having to like become alive, so to speak, with her own voice. You know that's a good point. Like I never, uh, since I've only seen a couple of the Transformers movies, they're not really my jam. But uh, yeah, uh, that is the the way that Bumblebee was communicating with people there at the beginning, wasn't it? Yep, was through the radio, <laughs> through songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking Transformers ripping off John Carpenter and Stephen King, sons of bitches. Ah, <laughs> uh, but then yeah. our next big scene, and this is the big reveal when you finally see. From aside from the opening shot of uh, Christine on the assembly line, you get to see Christine and all her fine-tuned, high-toned glory. Uh, the Rockbridge High School football team is having a game. Dennis is just rocking it. He's nailing play after play, and he sees Christine pull up. And who does uh, Arnie get out of the car with? But Lee, Lee. And, we now uh, know who the date was with. Yep, we know who the date was with, and uh, Dennis gets distracted. He's running, he's running like straight towards Christine because they're parked at the end of the uh, football field, and he's not paying attention. He's looking at Arnie just making out with Lee, and he just can't believe it. And he turns around and gets tackled, gets sent asshole over apple cart, gets messed up, and they end up you know having to call in uh, an ambulance, and that is boom, you know next. Uh, so I think. Yeah, yeah, he pretty much gets uh, laid up and crippled throughout the rest of the movie. Messes up his knee, you know, and he ends up uh, in the hospital. And when I I think the following scene is when Arnie visits him in the hospital. Am I right? Yes. Because that's when he tells him. That's when he finally uses the phrase "shitter," and he's like, "Yeah, those shitters really did some job on you, didn't they?" And even Dennis kind of notices. Is like, hmm. But I'm getting ahead of myself one bit. I have to make a mention that Buddy Repperton. And his gang with Moochie and Vandenberg and Trelawney and everybody are there, even though they 
the the gang got kicked out of school, got suspended, and Buddy got expelled. They're still there at the game, and when Dennis gets injured, Buddy does is like hey, and, and cheering it for him. <laughs> and that's when Moochie makes the uh, mention that he knows where Arnie Cunningham keeps his car, and this is like yeah. oh, bad shit gonna happen. Well, and one other thing, too, before we move on is, you know, we had talked about kind of his physical transformation. This is where you really see that transformation for him be complete, like where he's really towards the end of it now. Um, and so some of the the early kind of transformation stuff I had had kind of read up in it. People often described it as a combination between a 1950s greaser and a bad guy in a Western. And I thought that was a really nice kind of compliment and blend to what I think they were trying to go for for him. Um, again, back to that 50s of what Christine wants this man who's owning her to be of kind of this this persona. Um, mm-hmm. And again, some of that language that's coming off. But then also you're getting that bad guy vibe of like, you know, he's the bad guy walking into the saloon and the, the black outfit that's saying what's happening to him. Yeah, and he is, you know, his hair is kind of slicked back. He's again, he doesn't got his glasses. He and even his demeanor and the way he talks and the way he handles yeah. himself, he is makes a complete transformation. He is no longer the geeky Arnie that is timid. He is fully confident and kicking ass. Yep, yeah. yeah. And this is well, the I'm, next. Oh, good. I was gonna say, and then we have the the movie theater or the drive-in theater. Scene yeah, that's too. the next mention I was going to say. That I call the drive-in madness scene. Um, he- one, they went in a fucking downpour. So, obviously, <laughs> neither one of them were planning on watching any of this movie. Right, right. Yeah, they, they it, it was probably the worst weather that you could ever want for a drive-in movie theater. It's just raining cats and dogs. But they're not paying any attention to the movie. They're making out. I mean, Arnie's Ew. trying to get his get his hand down her shirt. They're necking. She's rubbing his crotch. They're they're doing everything but full fledged fucking. All and, the heavy petting. And then she instantly, you know, Lee just gets turned off. She's like, "I can't, I can't do this." And she runs out and goes to the snack bar, which of course Arnie follows her. And this is when you get the point that uh, even though we've gotten very little insight to Lee and Arnie's relationship. We already realized that it's already rocky because Lee is totally jealous of Christine. Absolutely. Yeah, she accuses him of spending more time with the car than her, of loving the car more than her, that she doesn't want to be doing anything amorous in this car because it feels almost like a threesome, I think, for her. Um, right, Because right. Of how much he loves this car. And so then, so then she hits the car. And you could see uh, Arnie just kind of instantly flare with kind of anger himself. Like, don't do that. That's not that's not what's supposed to happen. Don't be nice to my car. Yeah. And she's like, what? Don't want me hitting your girl. And he has nothing to say. He, he can't say anything because she's right. It's true. Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, but then, uh, you know, she even makes a mention, you know, how the radio is always playing those old love songs. The car will stall out when they're making out. And, you know, she feels like the car is, like, kind of watching them. And then what what happens when he tries to patch things up and she starts eating a a hamburger or a cheeseburger or something that they had sitting on the dash? Uh, I mean, I I feel like, like it was instant jealousy. Christine tricked Arnie into getting out of the car. 
Yes. You know, I feel like uh, I, I'm not, uh, you know, for a way to asphyxiate somebody in the car as if she was sucking out the oxygen or something, you know, but she's, you know, Christine stops her windshield wipers. Arnie gets out to try to get the windshield wipers because now they're obviously not making out. They're going to pay attention to the movie. Mm-hmm. And the car starts radiating with this light and, sh- and Lee starts choking. And then what does Christine do? Locks Arnie out, locks the do- doors, obviously, to keep him out because she's asphyxiating Lee and she doesn't want to kill Arnie. She wants to kill Lee. Yeah, there's a very specific purpose for that. Um, and one kind of interesting thing I had seen was that that model of car doesn't actually have those unlock button buttons and the door handles like that. Oh, really? But to unlock the car, the handle has to be, uh, or the to lock the car, the handle has to be rotated counterclockwise. Huh. And so that was actually kind of an added thing for the movie, too. Oh, I did not know that. I didn't know that car didn't come with the, the push button yeah. locks. <laughs> and so so luckily, you've got kind of the, the nosy car neighbor um, in the, the carport there who is been kind of watching them make out a little bit, kind of watching the things that have been going on. Um, and luckily for her, he was watching because he sees that she's choking in this car then um, and is able to somehow the two of them are able to get the unlock or the lock unlocked just enough that he can get her out and was able to give her the Heimlich and save her. Yeah. And then Arnie auto- automatically thinks he's attacking her. He's like, get your goddamn hands off her. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, oh, oh, yeah, he's saving her life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of w- when he's reduced to who he really is. He really still is just nerdy Arnie at, at heart. But well, and. And so what's interesting, so you had mentioned the, the song. So some of the lyrics of the song that was playing during this scene was, you're mine and we belong together. Yes, we belong together for all eternity. You're mine. Your lips belong to me. Yes, they belong to only me for all eternity. Oh, you really did pay attention to those lyrics, didn't you? I looked up a couple of them, too, because I was like, this feels very spot on to me. Um, And so, again, this is Christine just saying, get off my man. Um, Right. You know, his lips only belong on me. He doesn't he shouldn't be touching any other parts of any other woman. Yeah. Yeah. And she lets it be known. I, I feel like they probably chose those songs very, very carefully. I'm sure they were meticulously chosen. Yes. But, uh. There's even a scene that follows this when Arnie takes Lee back home. They have an argument, and she basically drives the idea home. She's like, I'm not going anywhere near that car again. That car is trouble. And what happens when Arnie gets, you know, when Arnie tells tells her, you know, I love you, Lee. You know, we're good together. You know, I I, want to fix this. He gets back into Christine, and what happens? She won't turn over. (laughs) He turns the key, just gets a click, and it's like, I think that's the moment you asked me before, you know, if I felt like Arnie knew that she was repairing herself. Yeah. I feel like he may have had a clue. You know, he might have an inkling. But I think this is the moment where he fully realized her capabilities. Or at least, like, realized that she was something special. Because, like, he looks at, he's, he looks at her and he pat, pats the, the steering wheel. And he's like, don't worry, baby. It's just you and me now. Everything is the same. Goes and turns the key. Boom. The engine kicks on. The radio 
kicks on with another song with uh, which I made a, a note this time about the song lyrics. It's like yep. you know, I love you like I do. Dum dum da da. Yep. yep. And it, it's like a happy, happy go love song. Yeah, exactly. You know, Every he was able to patch things up with the lady. Yep. 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 Ernie was smooth. Ernie was smooth when he wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> but this this literally comes to be the one of the hardest scenes for me to watch. You know, Arnie drives back to Darnell's, and what happens is he opens up the garage door and drives Christine in, you know, into a lot 20 where she always parks her. Buddy Rupperton and his gang, followed by Moochie and everybody, follows him in, wait for Arnie to leave, and they just destroy this car. And I, you know, I'm a filmmaker myself. I've done acting, I've directed, I've done a little bit of everything. I would have found it very hard to destroy such a beautiful, beautiful car with a sledgehammer. I don't know that you could have paid me enough money to destroy such a fine automobile. I mean, they just (laughs) fuck it up. Now, this is another instance where the deleted scenes, I think, would have uh, driven some more of this home. Because, I mean, in the the movie itself, as it is, as the the regular theatrical cut, they just smash it up with a bunch of uh, sledgehammers until it's just... A pile of rubble but in the director's cut they pour sugar in her gas tank they piss in her gas tank moochie squats down and takes a shit right on her dash now they allude to it later on when arnie's telling his parents you know one of them took a shit on the dashboard of my car ma they allude to it but they don't show it but i feel like it's another instance where that footage should have been left in just to show how raw and fucking cruel these guys were yeah i mean Honestly, I think when when I because I, I tried to think about this and kind of take a step back as I was thinking about just the 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 woman component and kind of the essence of Christine through all of this. And to me, it almost feels like a scene of like I spit on your grave or something like that, of just like this massive gangbang rape scene of just how much they are just like destroying and just debasing her at this point of you know, she's, she's kind of the, the hot woman. Um, again, we had talked about like that big seductress. She's got the, the cherry red dress on and, um, you know, she's now just being debased and anything that they can do to, to kill her in this is done. Yeah. The, anything just to kill her and kill her spirit, you know, it's just, my God, it's such a hard scene to watch. And the scene that is even more heartbreaking is the one that, that, that follows it. Now, when Arnie's coming back to the, uh, you know, to Darnell's and he's with Lee and he's like, listen, I got to get my wallet out of Christine. Do you want to come in? And they're having very much a lovey-dovey kind of moment. You feel like they've kind of kissed and made up a little bit. They're talking about, you Mm -hmm. know, we should uh, apply to the same colleges and that way if we get in the same place, I can help you math and you can help me with trigonometry and you can and then he comes around the corner and just sees the wreck the the hulking wreck that was once christine and and again it's that same tinkling piano kind of like music that is you know played when he first sees her is that i call it arnie's love scene or arnie's love music you know what i mean it's it's very sad when he sees her he does everything but crumble to his knees yeah yeah, he's, he's just found the love of his life, just dead and beaten to a pulp. Right, right. And, yeah, when, like, he sees her and he's, like, 
there's nothing you could ever do to, to repair a car like this. It'd have to be junked, you know, but yeah. he's like trying to put like gingerly tuck a little piece of rubber trim around the window and just like, almost like he, like he's, I don't know, like, like he's just can't think of anything else to do. And then when Lee comes to put her hand on his shoulder, this is where Arnie completely overreacts. Yeah, he just snaps on her. And, you know, basically, this is what you always wanted. You never liked Christine to begin with, and you've just always wanted this to happen to her. Yeah, because he told he and again, he calls her he calls her a shitter, just like everybody else. Yeah, and he was, uh, go ahead. Was, sh- was shitter like a common like, was that something that was said in the 50s a lot of like, I don't you know, know, like a, a name? I don't know. I'm not sure if it was. I always, uh, I had never heard that phrase to be used uh, in any kind of common use. I always thought it was just something that uh, that Stephen King came up with. Oh, that's fair. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I guess I should have done a little bit more studying up on that. I don't know. <laughs> I did that. That random aside. Yeah, no big deal. I was just curious. Okay. Right. Fair right. Enough. But yeah, I mean, it's. And then it goes to that solemn scene where Arnie's talking to his parents. And you kind of almost, I, I, don't, I don't know if you did, it was the one moment where I felt sorry for the mom because I felt like she did feel responsible for it because she's crying, you know, and Arnie is just sitting there just, I guess you could say almost catatonic. Yeah. You know, and he's just like, well, can't we talk about this like rational human beings? He's like, one of them took a shit on the dashboard of my car, mom. Like, how's that for rational? And he yeah, doesn't make a very good point, you know, when he says to her, he's like, if you hadn't been so selfish as not let me park my car in your precious driveway, none of this would have happened. And he's not wrong. I mean, they still would have beat the shit out of the car. It just might not have been as bad as what it was. Right, right. But, I, but you know, to, to his parents' credit, they do say, like, hey, we're going to help you buy a new car. Let's help you move on. Because, I mean, they also had the awareness of, like, there was no fixing Christine from where she was. Um, and he is just so offended at the idea of, you know, again, this is what you all wanted was just for me to get rid of this car. You know, how dare you suggest I get another car when there's still a perfectly good car underneath this pile of rubble. Right, yeah, he was offended and... I don't know, part of me feels like Arnie was justified in his anger, but he could have probably handled it a little bit better. But, you know, when he tells her, and he's like, well, fuck you, both of you. He's like, I'm going to fix up Christine. And this is the one time that the dad really says much or does much. He chases Arnie down and he's like, listen, you've been disrespectful. You're going to go back in there and, and uh, apologize to your mother now. And he grabs Arnie and Arnie's like, get your mitts off me, motherfucker. And then the dad tries to shove Arnie, and Arnie just grabs him by the throat and fucking chokes him for a second and just gives off that evil, you know, <laughs> laugh. Like, I'd snap your neck right now if I wanted to, Dad. But, you know, he doesn't say that, yep. but that's kind of the attitude he gives to him. Then he just Very pats him on implied. the face and is just like, eh, I'm going to go up and hit the sack. And the dad just stands there frozen, doesn't move, doesn't change expression, his eyes just go wide, and that's it. Like, he's realizing at this point, this is no longer my son. Like, I don't recognize yep. this man standing before me. And I don't know if you want to take this next next scene. I mean, it's it's Christine's transformation. It's it's the most beautifully orchestrated yeah, so, scene so he ever. Goes, 
So he goes back to uh, the the carport, the junkyard there where Christine is at. Um, and basically he goes to give Christine the pep talk. He goes to basically just, you know, confess his love. We're going to get through this together, baby. Don't worry about it. I'm still here. Everybody's tried to keep us apart, but not us. We're going to be a true love story together. Um, and this is when the car really starts to fix itself. And, and you hear Arnie then say, okay, show me. So it's almost like Christine had said, Hey baby, don't worry about it. I can fix this. You, you just stand back and, and watch mama. I got this. Um, <laughs> and so, so you can tell there is some communication there. She, she's now able to somehow like psychically telepathically communicate now with him of what it is that you're needing or, or what she's needing and what he's needing through that process. So he kind of takes that step back and you can just see her starting to fix all the parts of the car that were broken and mending all the pieces um, to transform. And so she takes this, he takes the step back and flashes the headlights at him, which is kind of the the sign for her that she's kind of coming alive. Um, and of course, men always getting enthralled with a good set of headlights. And so oh, yeah. then, <laughs> so then, you know, you start to see this car transform back into the, the original beauty of what it is through that process until it's back into that, that pristine, Christine version. Yeah. I, I, I like that phrase, pristine, Christine. And it's such a beautifully orchestrated scene. And most of it is, I mean, well, not most of it, all of it is done in practical effects. This is done in the day in 83 when there was no such thing as CGI. And I think that's part of what makes it so memorable is this is all done practical. And, you know, they did it with a lot of, a lot of um, reverse photography was, you know, they had these pumps, I guess, that was inside the car that would take the, the inner body panels and condense them or collapse them. And then they just reverse the footage to make it look like she was buffing, buffing out the dents and the scratches and everything. But it's just done so well. And I think that's when you completely realize the power that this car has. Yeah, this was this was the full when you're like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, OK, this is this is where she can go. Um, and again, I think, you know, we see that that Arnie has fully transformed. And so I think because the two of them had been together at a point where the two of them were so connected I, I almost feel like his his love for her and kind of his un, unbridled devotion is what helped kind of fuel her to that next level, too. Oh, yeah. They definitely fed off each other. You know, she yeah. made him strong and, and transformed him. But then his love for her also, like, powered, powered yeah. uh, you know, her transformation. But it's so great. And it's followed by one of my favorite. This is when it almost takes on, like, you mentioned uh, I Spit on Your Grave is kind of uh, as the way the destruction of Christine kind of played out. Then I thought of I Spit on Your Grave and Death Wish as what the movie kind of becomes from this point on for a little bit. When Christine, Almost definitely. Yep. When she tracks down Moochie. And Moochie yep. is the first victim, you know, and I like he's hitchhiking and he sees Christine and he's just like, you know, like, Cunningham, is that you? And, like, and I love, love his... Like, one, he can't believe that the car is in one piece because last time they saw it, it was, like, rubble, you know? <laughs> yeah. But he's fine. He's like, you ain't mad, are you? Like, oh, <laughs> no, not at all.
The other really, like, I spit on your grave aspect of this that I really like is the song that's playing as it's heading out to him is Hey There, Pretty One. And I felt like it was almost like it was it was kind of like that seduction component, like it's like that character has in that movie of like, okay, you really went and fucked me up and almost killed me, but I'm still alive. And now I'm going to seduce you back just so I can fuck you over later, right. um, <laughs> which is kind of where that's at, as you can see her starting to to head out towards him. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, man. Yep. And so when you can see Christine, like, turn evil, too, you see the the windows are all painted black. Um, and and I had also had read, too, as kind of a side point, the, all the stunt drivers that were in those cars had no side or rear vision whatsoever while trying to drive those cars down the road. Oh, <laughs> so. I can imagine not, because, one, it was all done at nighttime. And the yeah. windows being blacked out. I don't know how they like did it without any kind of mishap. And who knows? Maybe there was a few accidents, but thankfully nobody got hurt. Yeah. So kudos to the stunt drivers in this movie. Right. Right on. But Moochie gets his. He gets uh, cornered in an alley, and Christine just, you know, Moochie gets into a little nook in the alley that Christine is too big to get into, or so we think. And then she just, so- yeah, she just mashes the gas and like crushes the, her front end to get in and just crush Moochie right in half and whoo yeah. like in front of a danger sign I think that's my favorite part of that scene too is like he's in front of this big sign that says danger <laughs> <laughs> it's very poetic but then uh, isn't our next scene when Arnie gets uh, cornered by the, the late great Harry Dean Stanton yes sir yeah, Harry Dean Stanton comes in <clears throat> as Detective and, Rudolph Jenkins or Junkins. And And Arnie looks deranged in this scene. He looks like completely a different like there's no Arnie left in this shell of a man. Yeah, I mean Keith Gordon does such a great job and he's such an underrated performance. You know, he does you know, I mean a lot of the people that talk about this movie talk solely about the car, but God, I got to mention what a great performance Keith Gordon gives as Arnie to just transform himself from the meek, small, you know, nerdy Arnie to that completely transformed, just maniacal Arnie. Yes. But. um, Yeah. So I, I think one of the big downfalls of, you know, so, so part of this is that the police officer is starting to put two and two together with this. If they're starting to see some issues with, okay, there's some stuff going on. There's some connections with this car being seen. I thought this car was totaled. Things aren't quite adding up like they're supposed to. Um, But I think that the downfall of Christine as kind of that evil entity is it takes away all of Arnie's humility, like that nerdy, geeky persona that probably could have gotten him out of trouble in these situations is gone. It's now just left with this cocky, like, I guess he's not going to do it again kind of situations and answers to this police officer who's just getting pissed off with him in the process of, you know. Well, like the line when he says they had to scrape up what was left of him with a shovel and Arnie's just like, yeah. and they supposed to do is shit, scrape it up with a shovel. And it's like, y- yeah. you know, you could have could have handled that one better, Arnie, and maybe got the, you know, the dogs off your scent, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and Arnie wasn't even the one that did it, but he was still, you know, so entrenched with by Christine at that point he couldn't see anything else or do anything else to save his hide 
Yeah, I kind of feel like almost that was 99% Christine talking and like 1% Arnie just kind of watching it happen. Oh, absolutely. But uh, Harry Dean Stanton, God, I mean, if you, if you do not know who this man is, uh, why are you even here, even here listening to this podcast? I got to tell you, if you don't know who this man is, man, do you, please, please go and see some of his movies. He's got some great performances. Again, another great actor. He passed away in 2017, but he was a staple in um, John Carpenter movies. He played the infamous Brain in Escape from New York. He was an alien, uh, the Green Mile, Repo Man. He even had a cameo in uh, The Avengers. Uh, you know, so he was a pretty prolific actor. I mean, well over 200 and some movie and TV roles also in, in Twin Peaks just a lot of great stuff it, it, amazing actor almost underused here because he doesn't come into the about the two thirds of the way through point but great amazing actor and such a great character like he's a no nonsense character he he knows something's up he doesn't know I don't think he knows that Christine is you know quote unquote supernatural I don't think he would even believed it at that point but he knows something is up yeah, I mean, as a police officer, that's probably not going to be his first inclination that the car <laughs> right. has come to life and killed people on its own. <laughs> well, but, apparently he so, had not watched any Stephen King movies up until this point, right? <laughs> he must not have. Exactly. Oh, yeah, so, but, then, so then as soon as, basically, like, as soon as the police officer is off his back, Christine's out chasing more of the gang members down. Like, she, she didn't waste any time in getting her revenge no. on these assholes. I mean, she takes out Moochie by himself, but then she takes out Buddy and his other uh, couple of friends all at the same time. Like, just starts following Buddy and gets into kind of a car chase with him. And again, another great car. Another, I think it was a 67 or a 68 Camaro. Beautiful cars yeah. all around in this movie. And also, speaking of cars, um, Harry Dean Stanton as Detective Junkins is driving a 77 or 78 uh Plymouth Fury, not nearly as uh, magnificent as a car as Christine, but I think it bears mentioning that it's another Plymouth Fury. Which were pretty common for police cars back then, I think. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were pretty common back in the day. But yeah, I mean, Christine hunts down Buddy and, and Trelawney and Vandenberg. And like when uh, Buddy pulls into the gas station where his buddies are working, he's like, some assholes follow me. I just really hope he comes in here. Two seconds later, here comes Christine and just sideswipes his Camaro, destroys it, dra and drags the car halfway across the parking lot. And Buddy's trying to be like tough, but his demeanor is really cracking at this point. And he's like, well, my car, you know, <laughs> it's like, motherfucker, after what you did his car, you're really going to cry about it. But like, Christine crushes Trelawney, runs over uh, Vandenberg, and the gas tank leaks from Buddy's car and just engulfs the entire place in a big explosion. And next thing you know, Buddy is simply running down the street. He tosses his tire iron because what are you going to do? You know. <laughs> I think one of the things I really liked real quick about that that ignition part was Christine waits until the gas is covered his feet before she sets it on fire it's so like waiting 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 okay the gas is now physically on him and then the fire starts yeah um it's very like methodical. she was yeah very methodical of uh, she wasn't letting this asshole get away and then you just see like this beautiful fire explosion of that gas station 
was even more beautiful. I love the image of Christine driving because you can still tell it's Christine. You can still tell it's a yes. 58 Plymouth Fury just chasing Buddy down the street until it just plows him over until he's just a twisted heap of flaming hamburger just like laying in the middle of the street and my god like i know a lot of people i've heard a lot of people say oh it's a stupid scene why didn't he just run off you know he's running down the middle of the street why didn't he run off into the the field on either side i'm like i don't think it would have made a difference like yeah she could drive through anything and she was on fire she was going to get him one way or the other whether he wrote you know ran down the middle of the street or ran off into the fields on the side, it, it wouldn't have made any difference. So I, I don't adhere exactly. to that philosophy at all. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I saw, too, was the way that they helped do that infamous car burn is that they covered the car with rubber cement during production and lit that on fire. So that's how they did it. I always yep. wondered, and I didn't look that up when I was doing my studying. So they used rubber cement, huh? Rubber cement. Yep. Nice. Makes me wonder how many times they had to do that scene to get it right. I imagine it was not just one. I yeah, I imagine it probably took a couple, but I didn't see any times where it said how many times that happened. Oh, when I just think to myself of how many of these cars they destroyed and it had to just demolish and just destroy it, it makes me sad. Yeah. It, it makes me a little bit angry. It doesn't make me love the movie any less, but oh. <laughs> It makes me. It just makes me sad. It's like not the car. Kill all the people yeah. in the movie, but not the car. <laughs> I will say the other thing I really like about this scene is like when Christine is chasing him down the road. The the Christine theme is so strong and prominent in that scene. Um, and it, of course, his music, Carpenter's music, is just fantastic. Anyways, but it's just so strong. It just takes over the whole scene and just sets such a great thematic or just a, a great theme for what's to come yeah i mean all you can hear is that music and the heavy sound of buddy breathing as he's running down the street just panting as he's you can tell he's running out of steam but christine's not gonna run out of steam she's not yep nope and this is another yep. sad scene that follows up you know poor darnell for as, as much as is a curmudgeonly assholey old man that he was you know, he, he's just tidying up, you know, things in his office, getting ready to leave. And Christine comes rolling back into the building, smoldering, no longer on fire, but burnt to a crisp. And he makes a phone call, you know, and he makes a, uh, I'm not sure to who, but he's just like, hey, he's like, did Arnie make it all right? Because Arnie's been running car parts for him and picking up, you know, parts with his Cadillac, driving the Cadillac when he's not driving Christine. And he's like, and Arnie was driving, like, was he driving my caddy? Just making sure. So he knows that. He does, I don't think he doesn't know at this point that Christine is driving herself, but he knows it's not Arnie in there. Mm-hmm. And he grabs that shotgun and he has that infamous line. He's like, if I have to come in there and get you, I'm going to get you. But hey, it doesn't quite work out that way for him because when he opens up the door, there is nothing in there but a billowing cloud of smoke. Yeah. And and then Darnell does the dumbest thing ever. He gets into the car and, you know, and he's just kind of, I don't understand what he was doing. I don't understand if, he was just interested to see what was going on or if Christine kind of lured him in. I'm not, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think I saw, so first like he tries to touch the car and it burns his hand. So that should be an indicator. Maybe don't sit in the thing that's burning you. Um, 
But yeah, yeah I, I, I think Christine just had like the siren song approach that she could kind of lure people in. I think he he initially looks in because he's looking to see who the fuck drove it, right? And so yeah, he's yeah, trying to course. figure out like where the bad guy is. Um, and then I think he's like, well, if I'm in here, I might as well sit in there. Um, but then there was just no escaping once he's in that point. Yeah, because she slams the door shut, locks the door, and just starts cranking that front seat forward until it crushes them against the uh, the steering wheel and this and the steering column, and just poor Darnell. You know, like I feel like you know he was an asshole for most of the movie, but he he was a lovable asshole. He was kind of like an Archie Bunker type arch type that I you know like I mentioned yeah. before. He just didn't know how to show love. <laughs> you know, yeah. he didn't have to you know show that he cared, but he he truly had yeah. Arnie's best interests at heart. He was just like, yeah. you know, this poor kid, you know, his car's been destroyed not once now, but twice, because I'm sure he probably knew about the car being destroyed the first time. And yeah. He was trying to protect his best interests. He tried. Yeah, a couple thoughts here. So one one just kind of random thought is when Darnell is making that phone call, apparently you can see the camera guy reflected in the glass was one of the, the faux pas that I saw in the <laughs> office. Um, I did not catch that when we were watching that, but that was one of the things I had read. Um, the other thing too, so is I, I personally think that when when Darnell calls and he's he's calling the police then afterwards to get somebody out there, I think that was when Christine drew the line. I think she saw it as this is you're now going to be doing something that's going to come between me and my man. And so right. you're going to have to die now. Um, yep. So then she just squishes him. She just squishes him to death in the car. Um, yeah. And so the, the song. What a horrible been, way to go. Yeah. So the song that then is playing is with lyrics of because I love her and she loves me and we're all happy now as we can be. And so I think it's, again, you're going to come between me and my man. And so we can't have this happen. And you're, you're a threat now to our relationship. Was the um, song Boney Maroney? Boney Maroney. Boney Maroney. Yeah. Um, so one question that I have for you, Cam, of, cause I don't know how this would work. So the next scene is the police show up and the boss is found dead with a shotgun by his side next to Christine. Where the hell did the shotgun come from? How did that manifest? He had it. He had it in his hands. He he had it in the front seat with him when he sat down. Oh, did he? Yes. Oh, oh I missed the shot. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. because yeah, he had it with him because he had the shotgun. That's when he he had grabbed it when he was in his office and he had it. Uh, oh, like, you're right. When he's like, "Get out of there, chuck jerk," because his favorite thing to call everybody yeah. was a jerk. And he's like, if I have to come in there and get you, I'm going to get you. He had the shotgun. If I, if I remember correct now, I'd have to go back and watch it, you know, frame by frame. But I think if I recall right, he sets it next to himself in the front seat when he sits down. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes more sense to me then. Yeah. But, you know, it makes me wonder, though, did they find any of the soot? On him and wondered why maybe he, you know, because Christine at this point, again, when Arnie shows up the next morning and, and Harry Dean Stanton's there, it's like, hey, we found your boss dead in the front seat of your car. Not to mention that Buddy Repton and his whole gang was found murdered and it's, you know, reports that they saw your car running him down in the street, blah, blah, blah. And he goes around the corner and Christine is now pristine Christine again. Like, would any of that soot that would have been on Darnell, would that have been residual? I mean, they don't make any mention of it, so I guess in the logistics of thing, it doesn't really matter. It could be. I mean, let's be real here that 
he wasn't the cleanest guy anyways, um, you know, being in the <laughs> junkyard. So there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of thought if, you know, his, his back and, you know, legs, backside, whatever, had some, some dirt or grime on it. Uh, yeah, good point. Good point. I guess they're probably, it was probably too early for them to even pay attention to anything like that. Anyway, they're probably trying to figure out how he died at all anyways. Yeah. Cause I mean, he was still sitting in the car, so they wouldn't have seen any of that soot that would have come in contact. Cause I mean like his face and hands and stuff wouldn't have had it. Right. Right. Good point. Good point. But at this point, what happens next? This is when Dennis and Lee uh, kind of team up the, they, they kind of put their heads together that Christine is controlling Arnie and that Christine is kind of a sentient being, but um, you know, they, they kind of team up to fight her and, you know, Arnie is too far gone. I think this is also a point we got to mention. A lot of the cut scenes, a good eight or nine of them, were scenes with Dennis and Lee kind of developing their own relationship. And there is a one really good scene where they're sitting in Dennis's car, getting a milkshake and talking about what we got to do to save Arnie. And they start to kiss. And what happens? Arnie pulls up behind them. In Christine sees it, calls them shitters, and tries to run them over, and then drives off. I, I again, that's one of the few cutscenes that I felt like that's one very important one that I thought should have been left in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I yes and no. I, I like the idea of you know it being kind of like this wholesome kind of component that I think when you add in their relationship, it could turn into more of a well, you know we just need to almost kind of get this guy out of our lives so we can be a couple kind of component. Not that that was really any of their motivation. I think their, their motivations were more pure of, you know, Arnie just isn't Arnie anymore and we need to do something to help bring right. him back. Like um, that we both care enough about Arnie to try to save him. Yeah. And this is where uh, we get our final scene of like, really get our final scene with Arnie, even with a shred of his humanity left, but you can kind of see that he's, either been fully possessed by, you know, Christine or she's taken over. His eyes are sunken in. He he picks Dennis up. They go hanging out because it's supposed to be New Year's Eve. Yeah. And he's drunk and driving and he starts going on and on. He he sounds more like, like old man LeBay as opposed to Arnie anymore. He's talking about the shitters of the world. And he's like, who's the shitters? He's like, all of them. Yeah. You know? Well, which which I think is is kind of important for a couple of reasons. So, you know, we had talked about at the very beginning of him being called with um, Dennis being called a shitter kind of with all of that. And so then when he makes this big grand toast to death to the shitters of the world, Dennis is now in that category. He is now in that world of like, you are now against us and our relationship in this component, too. Um, and you're no longer safe just being by my side. Yeah, and, and he, I mean, Arnie even says, he's like, nobody's going to come between me and Christine. He's like, not the shitters, not, you know, anybody. Yep. And, you know, he's talking about, about the love that they have, and he's being ambiguous about it. He's not talking about Christine at first, and he's talking about, you know, love and about being together and about doing anything for each other and understanding each other. And yep. then it says, oh, I, you feel that way about Lee? And he's like, no, fuck Lee, man. I'm talking about Christine, dude. So I, I pulled that quote, too, because that was my, my second favorite quote from the movie. So it's, um, let me tell you a little something about love, Dennis. It has a voracious appetite. It eats everything. Friendship, fi fi friendship, family. It kills how much it eats. But I'll tell you something else. You feed it right, and it can be a beautiful thing, and that's what we have. 
Oh, yeah, great, great line. Some great dialogue in this movie overall. Really yeah. just fucking great. But Beautiful. that's the, that's the last point we really see. We see Arnie really at all, except for a little bit, a tidbit towards our finale, yeah. which we're, we're getting towards the the last, uh, you know, the f- final part of the third act when um, they decide but, that the only thing they can do is to destroy Christine, right? Yeah. One quick thing before we get there. I know we've been going for a while, um, but there is... Um, something that I had read too, that in, I believe it was in the book and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it said that the, or at least in early versions of the screenplay that the former owner that Roland LeBay was supposed to appear in the backseat of the car as a rotting corpse, kind of taunting the the car's owner previously. Um, and so I think kind of as the, the story progressed, I think it was, they just kind of became one character as opposed to him being taunted by this old LeBay, but he just kind of took and kind of acquired his, his weird quirks. Yeah. They just kind of absorbed, uh, you know, Roland LeBay into Arnie. Yeah. Uh, the Roland LeBay character was very much more prominent in the book and actually, um, Christine in the book, wasn't evil until Roland got her. He projected that Roland was such an evil, mean son of a bitch that his evil and and combined love for this car is what kind of possessed Christine and turned her into an evil entity. It wasn't her that turned him, which I will admit, I kind of like the way that it plays off in the movie a little bit more than the book. And you won't hear me yeah. say very often that I like a movie more than a book. Uh, I kind of like the angle that the Christine was just kind of evil from the minute she, you know, rolled off the assembly line. I, I like that aspect of it. Same. Speaking of speaking of rolling too, the the other thing that's noteworthy is when they're driving around is one of the clear shots that you can see the odometer running backwards, which I yep. think is important to notice too, is because Christine is getting younger as this movie is progressing. Um, with, I think kind of the ultimate theory being like, okay, she's going to be reborn when the odometer runs out. The question is what happens when she's reborn? Right. So let's say like this didn't happen. Do you think that that's like the time where she would like kill her owner and move on from there? Or where do you, where do you think that rebirth goes? Uh, You know, that's not an aspect that I had, uh, had thought about until you brought it up, I guess, uh, since I'm being put on the spot here to think about it, I would think that she probably would kill off the owner and find someone else to feed off of. Because if it was the love for her that that fed her mm-hmm. and brought her back, she would need that continuous love. So I, I, I don't know. I'm fifty fifty on that. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, I kind of. I kind of think she would probably bump off that owner and just move on to, you know, quote unquote, like a black widow, move on to a new lover. Yeah. I kind of wondered if that's what happened in the movie. Uh, Cause we know that he died in the car. I wonder if they had just reached that odometer threshold. And it was time for her to start over. Ah, like the cut of your jib there, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For a movie that I've seen more times than I can count. That was something that I never even considered, but yeah, you're, I think you might be spot on right there. Oh, yeah. Mind equals blown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, uh, well, the the prelude to the finale, which I find to be the biggest, ballsiest moment of all, is then when Dennis takes a screwdriver and scratches <laughs> Darnell's Tonight into the hood. Like, even if if they even halfway thought that Christine was sentient and, and uh, you know, uh, a sentient being, that took some major balls by Dennis, I mean, like, to, to do that, yeah. you know, to try to save Arnie. Again, being the ballsiest dude in the movie and being the best friend that he that Arnie could possibly ever ask for, he's not given enough credit. Yeah, um, but one real fucking stupid because now even if they, you know, Christine now knows, you know, we'll find out later, but she knows that something's happening now. Yeah, it's kind of like playing your, you know, playing your hand a little too early. It's just. Yep. It's like, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, we will come to find out, you know, uh, Lee and Dennis show up. Darnell's has been cleaned out now. It's, it's been cleared of most of the junk and most of the cars and the parts. It's mostly pretty empty, but they get a, they hotwire a bulldozer and they're just, their plan is to sit and wait for Christine to come through that main door. And when she comes through the main door, Lee is supposed to hit the, hit the button, shut the door. So Christine is enclosed in there with them and they're just going to destroy it with the bulldozer and but as we come to find surprise. out <laughs> surprise christine is already there and is just kind of waiting with uh arnie inside now at this point you know i think we're led to believe that arnie had not been driving her around all this time before but now he is driving her so now they are one they are, are one in their their mission when lee's kind of walking away from the bulldozer to go towards the the office to hide that's when all of a sudden the headlights kick on and you see she's been sitting on there. A bunch of junk car parts and car doors and hoods have been strategically placed to cover. And Christine just starts tearing ass through the place. I just love the fact that Christine was there the whole time just waiting and with yep. Arnie behind the wheel. And again, this is the, the last this is the last time where I kind of wrote poor Arnie because I feel like this is the the last time we actually get to witness Arnie as himself and not in a possessed kind of form, you know, when he's trying to run over Lee, he, he runs into the office. It send the impact sends him through the windshield and he ends up with a big shard of glass through his chest. And when he pulls it out, his last dying moment is to, to just caress Christine's grill and, and kind of pet her for a moment before he, breathes his last breath and dies and it's almost really sad even though i mean it's an evil character but when the headlights slowly kind of and fade off it's almost like the car sighs for a moment like oh yeah. and it's, it and the the car plays i'll forever love you yeah as he's dying oh it's i know it's just a car and it's just a stupid movie but it plucks at my heartstrings you know <laughs> no pun intended you know, and that's when Lee comes out and informs Dennis that Arnie was indeed in the car and Arnie's dead. And then it's just a battle royale between Christine and that big old caterpillar bulldozer. And using the caterpillar, the bulldozer, to take out Christine was pretty genius. And I did make a uh, a uh, a note here. That I feel like one of the only shortcomings is like as we've already reviewed this movie for Killer Cars or Killer Wheels Month is Killdozer. If they could have somehow got the same make and model <laughs> bulldozer from that movie, so it could have been literally Killdozer versus Christine. But that is extremely nitpicking. But I'll leave that in the book though. It was a big uh, septic truck that they used to crush Christine, 
and it was a pink uh, it was a big pink septic truck and uh so i, I kind of like the idea that they use a bulldozer it just seems more befitting to use this big behemoth of a monstrous machine you know six tons of steel to destroy this car and i like the i like the bulldozer too because we we kind of skipped over it but the bulldozer like the front end of it protects lee as christina's trying to get at her too and yes. so she's christine's trying from both sides to try and get her but the, the way the the bulldozer front end is it's kind of shielding and protecting her against the wall and protecting her from any damage from christine who's just revving trying to get at her yeah and and christine until her uh i, I don't know if you want to call it her dying breath but uh, her d- dying kick of exhaust fumes, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, tries to take out Lee, you know, and she, uh, they, they, this, it's a great scene, you know, where she continuously tries to rebuild herself. Yes. You know, she, she pulls back into the, the shadows and then pulls back out and she's all rebuilt again in the front end as, as pristine as it was before. But, you know, there's only so much that she can, rebound from and uh dennis just completely pulls the bulldozer back and forth and back and forth on christine until it pulls it completely on top of her and just crushes her boom down to the ground and the next shot we get is uh in the, the wrecking yard of uh christine now compacted into a you know a cube of uh crushed metal and you think that's the end of her and it's uh, Detective Junkins is there. Now, in the book, Detective Junkins had been killed. He had gotten ran over by Christine. So this was another diff- something where they differentiated from the, the book to the movie. And I think either way it would have worked. But it was, it was again, you know, how, how many, pay, you know, how much can you get out of a 450-page book <laughs> into a two-hour yeah. movie? But, you know, I love it when he's like, you know, you guys are heroes, you know, you should be proud of yourselves. And he's like, yeah. And I love how they said, you know, or Dennis says, you know, our real hero could have saved Arnie. And it is that kind of sad moment, you know, they went into it not wanting to destroy Christine, but wanting to save their friend. So they didn't really succeed. And yeah, I'll let you take the ending. I'll I'll, I'll let you take this ending shot since I've uh, spearheaded most of this with the way (laughs) this movie ends with that kind of wham, bang kind of ending I, I i love it but go right ahead yeah so you you know they are kind of wrapping things up you feel like it's kind of the end and then i think you get like that nice 80s horror movie ending where you're not quite done yet um all of a sudden you see a close-up on the cube you get um kind of a, a slow pan in and you're so slow zoom in and you see the front fender start to move on the cube, which would suggest that maybe we haven't seen the end of Christine just yet. Um, And again, we get the same song that we get at the very beginning when we see her rolling off the assembly line of that bad to the bone, um, which I, I think could kind of come full circle if they wanted to, to be like, yeah, this is just the beginning of what could be with Christine. Yeah, and what an ending, you know. Um, I, I love the prelude a little bit to the ending when the uh, guy working the junkyard comes around with the boombox and has the music, and they're all kind of looking like, where's this music <laughs> coming from? And Lee is just like, God, I hate rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It, it ends on such a great note. Uh, 
I guess I've always felt like it deserved a good sequel, but I don't know where they could have went with it. Now, I will have to admit here as a geek, when I was about 12 years old, I wrote a short story that was a sequel to Christine. That I simply just named Christine to Arnie's Revenge. And I won't get into what the story is because maybe I'll use it one day for a story of my own. But I, I did, as a geeky kid, write a sequel short story to Christine. So I'm just putting that into the ether. But yeah, what a great movie. I mean, fantastic movie, fantastic uh, direction, acting, editing, fantastic soundtrack between John Carpenter's score and uh, the, the actual overall soundtrack of the old 50 songs you know, used. But that's the end of our film, so let's go ahead and get off in our final thoughts and reviews. And you know, as well as anybody, uh, guests go first, so go right on ahead, honey. Uh, yeah, I mean, particularly when we're in Killer Car Appreciation Month, um, I don't think you get more iconic than Christine. Um, it, it's the first movie that pops into my head immediately when I think of Killer Wheels, Killer Cars, and, and I think Christine definitely lives up to, to any of that hype that people have about it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big Stephen King fan in general, and so any of his source material I tend to be all about. I'm also a huge John Carpenter fan, and so the idea of putting both of their brain powers together to create something um, just really, I think, comes out to be quite beautiful uh, movie. You get a, a beautiful soundtrack, you've got beautiful cars, um, and some, some really fun kind of kills that um, sometimes you don't always get to see in movies. Um, and for it being, you know, pretty light on the actual gore, it comes off as still a, a great thriller with seeing Christine come alive. And um, I think for me getting to, to watch this again, it had been quite a few years since I had seen it, um, getting to see it through another lens and kind of being able to delve into it. I think I have a greater appreciation for it than I did before. Um, I think I'm going to give her a nine out of 10. Ooh, we're coming in very close here. Um, I'm coming in with a 9.5 out of 10. So I'm just coming in a notch higher than you. So, but we're both right about there. Um, you know, it's one of the few, I mean, again, you, I'm just reiterating some things you've already said. I, I love John Carpenter. I love Stephen King and putting the two of them together just seemed like a kismet thing and it's a shame that uh, john carpenter hadn't covered more of stephen king's material i know this was not like a big hit when it first came out it was kind of a a misfire and not since kind of a box office flub but i don't understand how that happened it's such a great film i know it's gotten his recognition and cult status in recent years but it's it's really great i mean the effects which not the special effects because the special gore effects there's like like you said there's not very much blood in here i mean think the most blood we get is when arnie pulls the shard of glass out of his chest at the end there's not a lot of blood with the uh, the kills it's all very mechanical for lack of better mm -hmm. term but it's choreographed so well it's kind of like a, a texas chainsaw massacre you walk out of it going oh the blood and this that and the other and the effects when they crushed this guy it was so great you don't really see anything, but you don't have to. The star of this movie is the car. Christine is the star and will always continue to be a star. And I agree with a lot of what you said. When I think of killer wheels, sentient vehicles that are, you know, homicidal or suicidal or uh, psychotic or whatnot, I think of Christine. I don't think there's probably a more iconic 
killer car, killer wheels movie. But it's it's the f- perfect marriage of uh, great acting, editing, special effects, direction, all of the above. The soundtrack is rocking. I have it on uh, vinyl. I listen to it quite often. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a damn near perfect movie. But yeah, straight up nine and a half out of ten. And John Carpenter was on a roll at this point. I mean, he had just came fresh off of doing uh, the thing. So I mean, what a what a couple of movies, you know? Absolutely. Well, that being said, I think we can put a pin on this in this one for the for the day. Uh, we've, I think, exhausted about every resource we can talking about the movie. Maybe one day I'll uh, just review the book in its entirety because the book itself is almost an entirely different being. And once again, I'll say uh, this is an instance where I actually like the movie a little bit more than the book. And I, that might be sacrilege, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're a movie podcast. Right, right, exactly. Well, that being said, thanks, honey, for taking a couple hours out of the the end of your weekend before you got to go back to work here and uh, willing to sit through this movie with me once again. I I know me getting you to to watch movies from the 80s sometimes is a chore, but this one did not feel like a chore. (laughs) No, this one's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy this one a lot, so absolutely, my pleasure. Well, well, right on. Well, folks, thank you for listening once again to Cinema Degeneration's Killer Wheels Appreciation Month. And remember out there, shitters, beware. He's got all his shit in three weeks. Look how cockeyed he looks, Pepper. He's got fucking brand new windshield wipers. For a busted windshield. Well, the boy does have good hands. Good hands. Bad taste in cars.